Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 291 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is an engineering executive, as well as author of the books, The Manager's Path, and 97 Things Every Engineering Manager Should Know. She began her career with Microsoft in 2001 as a software design engineer, and by 2014 had been appointed Chief Technology Officer of Red the Runway. She is now the Managing Director of Two Sigma, with responsibility for management and strategy. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Camille Fournier. Hi, thank you. So so excited to be here. So Camille, can you maybe tell us a little bit about your, your current role and what you're doing with Two Sigma? Uh, sure, yeah. I run um, platform engineering at Two Sigma, sort of my main focus. Um, so platform engineering is really the software infrastructure that we use. So it's things like our compute platforms, that's things like Kubernetes or OpenStack. Um, it's our public cloud uh, you know, infrastructure. It's our software development tools, build tools, all of our storage uh, tooling as well. Um, I also oversee architecture and um, you know, have a hand in kind of the reliability engineering side of things. So that's kind of my uh, major focus these days. Right. That sounds like quite a broad um, spectrum of responsibility. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is uh, it is broad and yet and yet focused at the same time. And I actually really enjoy it. You know, platform engineering is the technical space that I've spent the most time in my career in. Um, and so, you know, I, I really enjoy thinking about those kinds of problems. Um, right. So, Camille, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? So I think uh, one of my... One of my favorite career tips and something that I have to remind myself all the time is that, you know, certainly if your goal is to is to grow your career, you're trying to get promoted, you're trying to get more responsibility. The thing you probably need to do is something that you uh, you're not comfortable with yet, that you probably need to work on some kind of skill set that is not necessarily the skill set that you, you know, that you've been, that has gotten you to where you are right now, really, you know, like there's, there's a great book called, you know, uh, what got you here won't get you there that I uh, often recommend people read. Um, and the, and really the concept is like, you know, you're going to get to a certain level based on your skills. Um, and to get to the next level, you usually need to develop some underdeveloped skill or, you know, do things a little bit differently, take a different approach, right? That, you know, without most, very few people will continue to rise and rise and rise, just developing the existing career, uh, the, the existing career skills that, that they had that got them to wherever they are. So, um, so that's kind of the thing that I, I tend to advise people is, you know, if you're feeling stuck, particularly look around and ask yourself, all right, like, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? Stop doing, start doing, you know, what, what about 
like the actions that I'm taking probably needs to change to get me out of this stuck situation. Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. So in, in terms of your own career, are you able to give us maybe an example of what you, took you from where you started into well, you know, higher up and towards a CTO position? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I've had to, <laughs> I've had to change lots and lots of things, uh, you know, throughout my career to kind of kind of get to where I am now. I mean, you know, one of the one of the major changes that anyone who goes from being a hands-on, you know, computer software developer to becoming a manager, which is you know, a, a common transition for many people, um, is you have to stop writing code all the time and have to have to sort of get away from being the person who knows everything about the software because you developed it or, you know, worked on it or read it or reviewed it or whatever. Right. Um, and that was a big, you know, that was a very hard transition for me because I really did enjoy, you know, the, you know, just, you know, I'd gotten really good at writing software and building systems and I really enjoyed that process. And when I got to the point where I was just unable to do a good job of being a manager and a leader and also write, software, you know, that was a very, uh, that was a very hard transition for me. So that's, that's certainly one of the memorable things that I really had to change um, to get ahead. You know, I've had to change, but that's just like one of many, right? I think, you know, learning, learning how to let you, you know, put your ego at the door, even when you think you know everything about a subject and, you know, listen to other people's perspectives better you know, that is a skill that, you know, I, I have had to constantly remind myself, frankly, to work on even, even to this day, because, um, you know, it just, it, you're so used to, I think as sometimes as an engineer, you know, you, when you start out, you're, there's really a career of like, you know, proving that, you know, stuff, there's a lot of like, you know, sort of, I know all the details and therefore I should be able to like make the decision. And, and when you're working in systems, Sometimes at least that's true, right? That there really can be a right answer. Um, but, you know, as systems get more complicated, as you're, you know, becoming a manager and working with people and you're dealing with lots of different kinds of trade-offs, whether they're system trade-offs or people trade-offs or business trade-offs, you know, nobody really does know the answer. There isn't an answer. There are, you know, spectrums of options that everybody has to has to choose from. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I've also had to work on and, and continue to learn is like, you know, you know, an answer, you don't know the answer. And so be sure to stay open minded and, and make sure that you're hearing other people um, in the process of, uh, you know, in the process of trying to come to conclusions and make decisions. And, and, you know, don't just assume that you know the best, um, because you feel strongly about something. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So yes, it's amazing what you can learn when you're open to other ideas, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, Camille, can you tell us about your worst IT career moments and what you learned from that experience? Yes. Um, I mean, I think for me, my most memorable worst moment was actually my very first full-time job at Microsoft. Um, and not because Microsoft was a bad place to work, but I came into this team of people that were all pretty experienced engineers. And, you know, I had a hotshot computer science degree and, you know, I, I thought I should, you know, look, I had gotten this four-year degree. It was really hard, right? I worked really hard. Um, I thought I should sort of know what I was doing. I came into like a, a team that is, you know, 
looking back, like probably not the kind of team that's really well suited to somebody just out of college. Um, they were working on, you know, they were working on the um, like compilers for some of the early dot networks. I was actually working on the Itanium compiler, which is like really, really dates me. Um, and, you know, I'm working and they were also like very close to launching something big. So everybody on the team was really busy. I didn't actually know how to work. I mean, I had had internships, but like I didn't know what being in a real job as a software engineer full time really meant. Um, and I was really afraid of asking questions because everybody was busy and I didn't want to seem dumb. And so I, I felt like I spent like a year and a half doing almost nothing and just feeling completely lost. And, you know, everyone was nice to me, but I didn't know how to ask for help and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I felt really unproductive and I, you know, I just felt really bad, right? Like I, I, I it felt bad, not that I was being threatened to be fired or anything like that, but it, like, I just felt like this isn't right. You know, it feels bad when you're at a job and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to ask for help and you feel kind of guilty. Um, and I think that was kind of my, that was my worst career moment. I actually like got out of it, frankly, by going to graduate school, um, you know, because I was like, all right, well, this is a sign that this isn't right for me. And I had been thinking about going to graduate school anyway. So, you know, I applied to graduate school and ended up, um, ended up going. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a really, you know, it was a really tough moment for me because I, you know, it, it really shook my, shook my, uh, like sureness that I belonged in that career path. Cause I felt like, wow, if I, you know, if I knew if I belonged as a software engineer, like I would have been able to do work in that environment. And that was, you know, that was a very low moment and it carried through graduate school a little bit. Cause I also wasn't a great graduate student. I was a bit better graduate student than I was uh, in that job at Microsoft. But like, I ultimately also realized that I didn't want to get a PhD, which is what I had gone in for. Um, and so I almost left tech actually after that, but I decided that I really wanted to live in New York city and I didn't want to like go into debt for law school, which was sort of my other <laughs> option for some reason at that time. So I ended up leaving when I left graduate school with a master's degree and got another tech job. Cause I was like, well, I want to live in New York. I don't want to go into debt. I want to, I wish it, you know, I spent all this time learning how to be a software engineer. I should give this one more shot. And that job turned out to be a great job. And I learned, you know, I, I learned how to be a working software engineer really in that job because I had the right mentorship. I had the right, I was just in the right environment for me to be productive. And that really turned my career around completely. Yeah. Uh, that's that's very interesting to hear. I mean, I, I, I hadn't thought about that recently, but yes, that must be the case for what you experienced early on with Microsoft. For a lot of people who come out of college that they go into an environment and a, and a you know, within a team and are expected to be, you know, interact and work with people. And it's, it's, it's effectively an alien environment for them. It's not probably something they haven't experienced very much of at all. Yeah. And, you know, I think some, you know, some companies do a better job of this than others in terms of like, they realize that, you know, folks straight out of college university, you know, don't necessarily have a ton of real life working experience, even when they've had internships and other things like that, you know, that's, it's not quite the same. Um, and so I think, you know, some companies I do think do a good job of, you know, making sure that their new hires are, 
they're getting mentors and they're they're getting put on projects that are really well scoped so that they can kind of ramp up and learn things and um but you know it, it certainly like even companies that do that i think pretty well you still see these pockets of you know frankly new managers who themselves didn't need that when they come came out of college like i do think there are plenty of people in tech where for whatever reason they're just like you know they they're just kind of good at like getting into a code base and like writing software and you know they don't maybe they you know i don't know maybe they've just been programming forever or i don't know they know the language really well i don't know what it is right but you know and so i think for folks who have never had the experience of needing help figuring out how to kind of get started in a code base they don't often know how to ramp someone up and and mentor them into that and they you know and then they often don't pay enough attention and uh, you know, so you do. I do still occasionally see that that scenario happen where you know somebody straight out of college is struggling, and when you look into it, you see a combination of the person is afraid to ask questions. They don't want to ask for help because they, you know, well, who knows why, right? You know, I don't want to re- try to read their minds, but they don't seem to be asking for help, um, and they're also not getting help because you know the people that are supposed to be paying attention to them aren't really checking in often enough. They aren't. You know, they've they've forgotten that, you know, a college grad is a very different person than someone with five years of work experience who kind of knows what they're doing. Yeah, exactly right. Good. Okay. Um, so moving away from your worst moment, can you tell us about your career highlight? Wow. Uh, my career highlight. Um, I mean, I'd certainly one of the highlights of my career was becoming the CTO of Rent the Runway. Um, and Rent the Runway was a is is a startup here in New York City. Um, I joined Rent the Runway as a director of engineering, um, although I will admit I was a director of engineering with no direct reports. <laughs> so they probably gave me a bit of an inflated title um, to convince me to join them. Um, but I ended up very quickly sort of acquiring a team and um, being being promoted. And so, you know, really what happened was I had done a little bit of management in the job prior to Rent the Runway. Um, and but I had been mostly a hands-on engineer and I had kind of gotten to a point in my career where I was like, okay, like I've built a lot of systems, you know, I feel very confident as an engineer. And I think that the challenges, like I want to, I want to learn how to manage teams. I want to try managing teams because I want to see, you know, I want to see if I'm good at that. And I think that I could be good at that. I think that my combination of technical skills and other skills could, you know, could lead to a very fruitful career in, in leadership in that way. So, you know, I go to Rent the Runway as a director and I, and I, you know, start managing people. And about a year into my time there, the person who hired me, who was the SVP of engineering, leaves. Um, and I basically raised my hand and said to the CEO, like, let me, let me do it. Let me run the team. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of course, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. Um, but I was very confident that I could do this job, that I could do it well. I was, you know, I think I... I I I'd still believe that I was definitely the most qualified person on the team at that time to do the job. Um, and so they ended up letting me do it, promoting me to the VP of engineering and eventually to the SVP of engineering. Um, and, uh, but I really wanted to be the CTO. And so, you know, I had, I had done a lot of the, a lot of the steps necessary to become the CTO. I mean, CTO has no standard path, all kinds of CTO means different things at different companies and different people, you know, have different expectations. But um, my uh, my CEO 
you know, to make me the C- CTO, she said, okay, I want you to present to the board. Um, and I want you to present engineering, the engineering strategy to the board. And so I was like, all right. I'm like, I, I asked for, um, I asked for help. I had a CTO coach at the time and he was like, oh, no problem. You know, just sort of like talk about the teams that you've built, some of the stuff you built. And so I kind of put this together and I gave it to her and she was like, absolutely not. This is, <laughs> this is not a strategy. This is not good enough. And she really kind of rakes me over the coals to actually think about where should, you know, where should the software and, you know, and the, and the engineering team go to best support this business. And so I had to, you know, I had to write this strategy and I had to, you know, create it. I had to present it to the board. They, of course, frankly, approved my promotion because I don't, I think they didn't care about that at all. I think they cared about the fact that the team was doing well, delivering stuff. People weren't quitting all the time. Like that's what the board cared about. Right. Um, but I, but I do, uh, I am grateful to Jen, the CEO for putting me through that work because I think that, you know, she, in doing that, I really learned a lot about leadership and strategy that has been, um, really valuable to me throughout the rest of my career. I do think that, you know, the, that it's not the only important thing in leadership by any stretch of the imagination. But if you have a good sense of, of strategy, if you're able to like, look at the, look at the business around you and the technology, um, and, and at least talk about how your technology can evolve to make that business grow and support the business as it grows. I do think that you, you then can present an, a very compelling vision to your engineers and to people you might want to hire and frankly to the whole company. Um, and I, and I do think that like that kind of motivation is a really, uh, I think it's a really like top tier skill to develop that, you know, many people don't necessarily develop that, that skill maybe even ever in their career. And I'm really grateful to have gotten pushed to, to try to learn how to do that. Cause I think it's made me a much better leader. Yeah, you must have learned a lot from that experience, I would have thought, in terms of sort of understanding how what you and your team were delivering supports maybe the business objectives and therefore that strategy was bridging, presumably, from the technical side to the to the business development side. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, at my, my thesis then and, and now it really is that, you know, technology has to be ready to enable the many potential futures of a business. You know, businesses, particularly startups, can go in lots of different directions, right? As as new opportunities kind of present themselves, as the, you know, product side or the business side sees things that they're like, if we could act on that quickly, we could really grow this business. And in a technical business, right, acting on that quickly means can we get the software together to do something with it, right? Often. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the challenge, I think, of being an engineering leader at a startup like that is, you know, balancing, um, you know, delivering exactly what needs to be delivered today with continuing to think about how your systems are evolving so that you can deliver those possible futures without hopefully having to, you know, just completely tear everything down and build something new, right? You know, you've, you've got enough flexibility in your systems to support a lot of different ways that they could go without being so overly flexible that, you know, it takes forever to add anything. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Camille, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in this industry? 
I mean, you know, when I um, when I decided to go get a computer science degree uh, quite a long time ago, um, it seemed, you know, I used to say to people that I was doing it because you can do you can be in any industry with this kind of degree. Um, and I was like, that was sort of a lie because actually I was doing it because I actually liked computers and wanted to write code, but it's not always like people don't always like to hear that w women like to write code. And they now maybe more back then it was, a, you know, a little more odd, frankly. Um, but I do like, I was right and probably more right than I thought, right. You know, you can do anything and be a software engineer. If you, if you have, uh, you know, if you have a technical background, right. If you have an IT background, you can go into any industry you want to go into, right. If you're in, I mean, look, I worked at, I've worked in finance quite a bit. I've worked in tech, um, but I worked in fashion, right? I worked in fashion and fashion retail when I worked at Rent the Runway, and that was super fun. Um, and I didn't have to go to fashion school or be, you know, be an expert in that, but I got to be a part of it. Um, and I got to be a part of it, you know, because frankly of my technical skills. Um, and, you know, I do think that it's really exciting to realize as an engineer that like, yeah, you can make a lot of money. Um, and I do think like these skills are very valuable and I believe they will continue to be very valuable. Um, but it's also cool to realize that like, you know, if you're passionate about fashion or media or, you know, nonprofits or, you know, uh, like the future of energy or whatever, there's just so you can do anything. You can take those skills that you have and then work in whatever industry you're actually like, you're interested in that business. And and have have an impact on it, and I think that's really awesome. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's it's certainly the case, isn't it? That that skills within this particular sector are so transferable. Um, they they make you an asset in different sectors. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. So, what first attracted you to a career in IT? Uh, I mean, like I said, I really do like computers. <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, you know, I, I, I'm into computers. Um, I will also say that uh, when I was trying to decide, you know, what to major in in college, my my grandmother um, used to read, you know, the U.S. News and World Reports, like, you know, that magazine, they rank colleges, but they also talk about like the future of careers and jobs, you know, and she said, look, like, you know, you can do lots of things, but you seem to like computers and you like money and this industry is going to be a good place to get a job. So maybe you should do this computer science thing, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which was good advice. <laughs> Going on to the next question, is you relevant? What is the best career advice you've ever received? Uh, is, I mean, look, I think this is a bit of a cliche, but I do think it's true. Like, look, you're going to be happiest when you work with people and in a culture that you like. Um, and, you know, everybody has different things that they value more, you know, and some people value money above all others and they'll just do whatever, you know, that pays well. Some people value, you know, interesting work or they value, you know, you, people value different kinds of things. But I genuinely think that, you know, the times I've been happiest in my career and the best advice, I, you know, when I followed this advice, I've, I've done the best is when I've been surrounded by people that I genuinely like and admire and in a culture where I feel, you know, excited about going into work most days. I mean, obviously everybody has their, their down days. So I think that's probably the best advice I've ever received. Okay. Um, and conversely, what's the worst career advice you've ever received? I mean, I, 
I think the worst, I don't, the, some of the worst advice I've ever received has been really just from people who like, I think don't, um, like just don't really understand the things that they're giving advice on. Like I've definitely had people say like, oh, you should, you know, never get hands off, like never stop writing code because then you'll become out of touch and, you know, unhirable. And I, I think that if I had followed that advice, I would be stuck as a line manager or middle manager. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, if you love writing code, actually like line management is kind of a great job for someone who wants, uh, you know, wants a certain kind of leadership and cares about their team, but also just really wants to be very, very technical and like sort of in, in the details of some kind of system. Like actually it's a great job. Um, but I don't think that I would have been happy um, with that kind of career path. And I do think that for me, getting comfortable with not having to be in every detail of every system and not having, you know, and, and just, you know, getting comfortable with the fact that like, look, I don't write code for a living anymore. And that's, that's okay. I do think has allowed me to grow a bigger career than I otherwise would have. Yeah, and that does make sense. I think yeah, you're right. There, there are. It, it depends, doesn't it? Really, it's it, it's up to you what you want your career to be, and therefore, the direction that you take and what you decide you want to focus on is is down to you. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to, as you say, focus specifically on being a continual coder. It just depends on where you see your career going. So, if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Um. If I had to begin my career again, I mean, I do think that I would, I would look for a first job straight out of school that I would ask a lot more questions about how they made their college hires successful. Um, and I would definitely make sure that I was going into a place like I, I would, I would try to make sure that I was going into a place where I was going to be able to like learn, but also, you know, be coached and mentored and, and taught. Um, and, and, you know, and I would be a lot less afraid of asking questions. Um, I do think that that really held me back for the first little bit of my career. Um, and, you know, and, and like what I would do in terms of like what company I would work for, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I still like, you know, distributed systems and platforms and I'm glad that I have done that. I'd like, you know, I don't have any personal interest in like AI. I feel guilty even saying that on a recording, but like, I just like, I don't, you know, like I don't have, I don't want to be a mobile developer. I don't want to be a web developer. You know, I don't really, you know, I don't want to do AI. Like I really do like what I, what I do when it comes to like, you know, systems and platforms is really what I'm, what I'm super interested in. And so I think I would do all of that stuff still, but you know, just be a lot more careful about like trying to find places where I really felt like I was, I was going to be given kind of the coaching that I needed to get to, to get out of my shell and, and be more successful. Yes. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Oh, I think the eternal career objective for senior management, at least if you have my personality is, is just being a little bit more Zen. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, uh, and look, I, you know, I, I, I care very much about being the best leader that I can be. Um, you know, I want, I want my, my teams and my peers and my, you know, like I want to do good things for the people around me. Um, 
And, you know, but I sometimes am quite intense. Um, and, you know, so I think for me, it's, it's a matter of constantly, you know, figuring out how can I relax? How can I, you know, be more curious in my responses to things rather than, you know, sometimes being judgmental, you know, how do I keep, how do I keep open-minded and, and keep being open-minded, keep learning? Um, you know, so I, that's not exactly, I mean, look, that that's kind of, that's the thing for me. And maybe, maybe the thing for me for the rest of my life really is just like constantly becoming a little bit of a better person every day. Cause I do think that that's the most important thing for me as a leader. And, you know, I don't, you know, I've been a CTO at this point and, you know, I've made, you know, plenty of money and money is not the thing that like is the number one thing that drives me. And so it's not like I want to become the CTO of a massive tech company or, you know, I don't, I don't have like major, uh, I don't want to like, I don't feel obligated to keep climbing the ladder in any particular way. So it's much more about, you know, am I doing good work with good people? Am I challenging myself? Um, and am I finding opportunities to, you know, help companies be better companies and do better work and, you know, deliver more to the world in a positive way? Yeah. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I mean, you know, I I have a, an English minor in college, um, and I'm I'm a very good. Um, I'm not. I'm a terrible creative writer, but I'm a very good. Uh, not even technical writer, but like not you know, ex- I'm good at writing and explaining things very clearly, um, and I think. You know, and I think that it, it's not even exactly a non-technical skill. I think it's very much in that like sort of gray area of technical, non-technical, um, because you know I do think that uh, like it's the exact same skill that makes me good at debugging consensus systems, for example, which is an extremely technical uh, technical application. But it's very much the uh, the ability to really boil a logical problem down and then and then explain it in plain English to people. I think that is just a huge, hugely valuable skill. Anyone who wants to go into any kind of leadership position, the better you can get at sort of explaining yourself and writing down things in, in simple words. You don't have to have big, you don't have to be like a big, you know, fancy writer or like super entertaining. It's just that clarity, I think, is like such a critical skill. Yes, definitely so. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I mean, I'm, I just sort of, uh, am constantly, I'm just co- like, I'm constantly interested in thinking about why things are the way they are. Um, and so I'm all like, I have a really wide network that, of you know, friends who are, you know, anything from like, you know, individual contributors that are early in their career to like you know, other kind of senior leaders at big companies. And I think the thing that I do to keep my career energized is really, I'm just like, I'm so curious and interested in how companies and technical processes and technical practices and architectures come to be the way they are. And like, what, you know, why is that? Why is it hard for individual contributors to keep getting promoted and easy for managers to keep getting promoted? Like, what's that about? Nobody wants it to be that way. And yet it seems to be that way in lots and lots of companies. 
So why is that? You know, why does something that works really well at Google just be, why is it such a disaster when applied to a different company? Um, and I think for me, like, I'm just like, you know, I, I think the thing that keeps my career energized, honestly, is just I'm so interested and curious about why things are different and like the nuances of those differences and learning about the nuances of differences. And like, I like to make mental models and then see how they fall apart. Um, and I think that's that's the thing that just keeps me energized. And it's, you know, it applies to all kinds of things, but, you know, I really heavily apply it to people and processes and technology. And, uh, and that is really engaging for me. Yeah. Okay. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Oh, uh, I do I, not much these days because we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> no, I, I mean, <laughs> I, have, I have two kids um, that I spend some time with, but I'm not the most engaged parent, I must admit. Um, I read a lot. I read both, like, I would say, like, maybe 15 to 20% of my time I read, like, business and related content. And then 80% of the time I read fiction. I read a lot of fiction. Um, you know, I... Uh, I, when we're not in a pandemic, I like to lift weights at the gym, you know, <laughs> I love to travel. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a pre- I live in New York city and I love living in New York city and I love everything about New York city. So I, I, I am a New Yorker in my spare time. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and Camille, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? Um, let me think. So I, Look, I think that my 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 parting piece of career advice would be, you know, that if you first of all, like figuring out what makes you happy is a really hard thing to do, but try to always remind yourself that like, you know, I it's a very reasonable to have a goal uh, that is like you feel like you live a well-balanced and contented life. And that doesn't mean that every second you are going to be happy. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to work hard to get to that well-balanced and contented life because you will. But, you know, I do think that the people that I see who I think are, the, you know, that are in the, you know, look, I'm really in the middle of my career. I've been working for about 20 years. I've hopefully got at least 20 years to go. Um, but the people I see when I look around in the middle of my career um, who are, I think, you know, in the best position are not necessarily the ones who are, you know, who have climbed the ladder the most successfully, um, but they're the ones who have figured out, you know, a way to keep learning and stay positive um, and, you know, optimize, not, they haven't over-optimized for any one thing except, you know, they, they, they have, they, they don't seem to have over-optimized for money. Like I definitely know people who have been really heavily driven by money. I know people who made a lot of money very early in their career and, you know, they are no happier than the people I know who are still working, you know, nine to five. Uh, right. So like, you know, you're unlikely to buy your way out of happiness past a certain point. You're unlikely to promote your way out of half, you know, into happiness, right. You're unlikely to, the people that I know that are in senior positions, are just as stressed out and often way more miserable than the people I know who aren't. So, you know, my advice is really like, look, like relax a little bit, Um, you know, challenge yourself, keep challenging yourself to learn and, 
you know, find companies that you're proud of working for, find people that you like working with, you know, don't get yourself sold short, right? You want to get paid fairly. You want to be treated fairly. Um, But anytime you feel resentment creeping in to your life, to your job, to any of your relationships, frankly, like that is a sign that something really needs to change quickly because resentment and burnout and, you know, that they are really hard to recover from. And I, and I, and I think they are, you know, you don't want to shorten your career because you, you know, because you let yourself get totally burned out and totally bitter. Like that's, you know, that's, that's a terrible way to go. So, you know, take care of yourself, right. Take care of yourself and, and just, you know, be careful about over-optimizing for something that you think will make you happy um, without checking in regularly about whether it is making you happy or not. Yeah, absolutely. And Camille, can you tell us how we can find out more about you and connect with you? Sure. Um, well, I tweet a lot. My Twitter handle is at S-K-A-M-I-L-L-E, Camille. Now, um some of your followers may love my tweets and some of them may hate them and that's fine. <laughs> I'm okay. very much a I'm very much a full full person on Twitter. I definitely do not just tweet about tech stuff or whatever. So, you know, caveat emptor there. Um I blog quite often. Um you can find me my, I just have a, alightedbranches.com is my website, but I often post everything on Medium or my handle is the same as my Twitter handle. Um, and so if you're mostly just interested in my long form thoughts on engineering, uh, product, technical product, engineering management, that's the, that's the way to follow me. Great. Okay. So Camille, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Camille Fournier as much as I did. If you head over to the IT Career Energy as a website, You can visit the show notes page to this episode where there are links to Camille's two books, her blog, and to her social media profiles. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you get episodes automatically downloaded every week. And reach out to me on social media, and in particular Clubhouse. It's always great to speak to and connect with listeners. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.